0: okay welcome to the armchair trader podcast this week we're talking about the insurance sector and we actually have the ceo of a listed reinsurance business on the podcast today we're welcoming trevor carvey who's ceo of london listed conduit to the podcast thanks for coming on today trevor
1: thanks very much um, yes looking forward to uh, having a conversation
0: just for starters can you just give us a brief overview
1: of of what conduit is as a company yeah sure um yeah and i'm certainly aware that you know reinsurance which is our business that we transact is uh is never the most um visible business if you like to the general public uh so just as, as a way of describing it um most people are familiar with insurance obviously and insurance policies are bought from insurance companies. So if you're insuring your house or your car, uh, your boat or any other asset, uh, then it's bought from an insurance company. As a reinsurance company, which is what Conduit is, we have, as customers, those insurance companies. So essentially, when those insurance companies, um, in building their portfolios, get to a situation where either their capital... Is being more stressed, or they have certain positions which they need to buy their own cover for. They come to companies like us, and um, we're based here in Bermuda. Uh, they come to us, and uh, we negotiate with them on selling insurance policies to insurance companies. So essentially, it's it's a way of creating capacity from an insurance company by buying their own. Um, protection on their portfolio of business. So you're effectively the insurer of the insurers. That's right. Yes, and that's that's probably you know a uh, terminology that's used quite often. That's probably the simplest way of thinking about it.
0: And and for the man on the street, it's not a sector that's very much front and center, is it? People are used to dealing with um, insurance companies like Direct Line and and those kind of consumer facing businesses. This sector, although important, seems to very much—I wouldn't say live in the shadows—but it's not something that gets talked about a lot in the, even in the retail investment press.
1: No, that's true, and I guess as a business-to-business um, wholesale, if like trade um, relationship, if for that reason, it is—it's less visible in the in the retail um, sector and the retail press. But in the same way that an insurance company. Uh, Will ask questions um, around the house they're insuring, the assets they're insuring, uh, and that's a single risk. When we take on as a client an insurance company, we're asking questions around their entire portfolio of risks. So um, it could well be that an insurance company in the UK has a particular um, high concentration of risks in a certain county in the UK. They'll come to us and say, we have this portfolio of risks, which all in their own right, they're very happy with. But when you put them together, it's a larger number than they wish to have in their overall portfolio. So we inquire and we model and we ask them questions and model data around that portfolio of risks. And from there, we establish a price and a premium and um, what we believe is an adequate rate to charge to absorb some of that risk from them. So it's a similar process, but it's just under the a a higher portfolio level than on an an individual property-by-property basis.
0: So, for example, an insurance company might say, feel that it's taking on a a concentration of risk in a specific area or a specific industry or indeed a specific risk itself, and they would come to you and say, can you take some of this off my my table, so to speak?
1: Yes, that's right. Um, So, um, you know, and... An example away from the the property um, analogy that I've just drawn would be a risk such as um, an oil platform. Um, Some of those are very high values around the world. Um, We have a a specialist unit here that can engage on taking on risks like that and in some cases the conversation will actually concentrate and focus down just on one or two very large risks. which uh, the companies insuring those for whatever reason have an extended position, extended exposure, and um, will want to lay off some of that risk. Um, it's very rare that we would do it and um, Transact business for less than 12 months. So pretty much all of what we do in the same way that you would buy your house insurance is for 12 months and then it's renewed. What we do is when we're talking to insurance companies about risks like that, we will contract with them for 12 months take on that risk for 12 months, they pay us a premium. And then at the end of the, the 12 months, when that policy is due for renewal, we review it in the same way that your household will be re, um, reviewed. Look at the results, look at any claims that may have come through. Is the premium still adequate? Do we still like the wording that's being used? And so it's a similar 12-month cycle of business. So when we're writing risks into our own portfolio, essentially they they last for 12 months, and then we renew that block or that portfolio of risks with the the individual insurance companies.
0: And do you just deal with UK insurance companies or, or all over the world?
1: No, but, um, one of the the key tenets in setting up the business was, um, and this is fairly typical for reinsurers, is to create a geographical spread of business. So for us, we pretty much transact across the globe, but there are certain territories that, that we don't transact in, um, large parts of the uh, the, um, the Eastern Bloc or the former Soviet Bloc um, we don't transact in various reasons I can go into but very often the quality of data is just not available in areas like that plus obviously you have sanctions um, exclusions as well. Um, parts of Latin America again um, a lot of the data that we are presented with is very often um, less than the level of granularity we require so it forces you not to transact business in certain territories. But beyond that, certainly, we have a lot of business that we transact in the States, United States. Uh, The business that comes out of there uh, is uh, relatively easy to model and to, to price and to run data around. It's just the way that the data is established as a flow from there. But also out into the Far East, Asia, Pacific, Japan, Um, We transact business um, out there in the same way. The benchmark for us is, is the data um, adequate for us to get the level of granularity around it that we require? Um, And if it is, then providing it's blending into our overall portfolio and we're not becoming imbalanced in any one territory or region or geography, then um, that's pretty much how we look at it. But being able to offer contracts, contracts, where you're covering a, a, a multitude of, of regions, if you like, it produces an inherent um, balance in the portfolio rather than being concentrated in any one country or region.
0: And so you set up the company and decided to list it on the stock market. What was, what was the reasoning behind that?
1: Yes, we um, uh, well, Neil and I, uh, that's Neil Eckert, the other co-founder, um, we've both been in the industry um, 40 years each pretty much. And we've been involved in, in other companies, both in the public sphere. Both Neil and myself have been involved with other public companies. And when we started looking at this in sort of late uh, 2019 into 2020, uh, we were faced with the either going down to sort of the private equity route or the um, the IPO public listing. And we just in the conversations we were having, we could see that there was a Considerable appetite for um, uh, for a, a clean balance sheet on the on the public markets to be created. Um, a number of investors that we were talking to made the comment that they could see that the market was changing, the cycle was changing, and improving in reinsurer's favour. Uh, but there were relatively few ways to, to play in that space, particularly on the London market, and so um when we started those conversations it became apparent to us that even though it was a it's a fairly long process to go through to deliver that 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 IPO it gave the the company a um a very much sort of long um almost like a long only um investor base that we knew was going to be a very stable um um structure for us to build the business off of so It was the route that we went, and um, we're very pleased that that we did. And the business, um, we raised those funds through the IPO process through uh, 2020, and we went live in December of that year.
0: And from the perspective of an investor who might already have, and they might already own shares in insurance companies, but these are like the traditional insurance companies, um, what other considerations are there from their perspective when they're looking at, say, a reinsurance stock as opposed to the insurance brands that a lot of people are already familiar with that they can buy on the stock market?
1: Well, I think probably the, the way that, you know, when you look at the way our portfolio is is structured, um, essentially the the pattern of claims which we expect to pay broadly follows the insurance company's payouts in that you write a policy for 12 months If it's of a property nature, then the claims on those tend to be presented relatively early on. Uh, And then um, over the course of maybe a couple of years, the property policies will come to full fruition. Uh, Insurance companies write that business and they have the same kind of payout pattern. Uh, When it comes to liability business, so third party liability business, in the same way we write those portfolios and claims there, Will tend to evolve over a period of maybe three to four to five years. So we follow a similar claims payout pattern to the original insurance companies. Where a reinsurance company will differ is in the exposure to larger one off events. So um, you, you get more volatility around a reinsurance company's results uh, because of the prevalence of things like earthquakes or large windstorms. So a reinsurance company will tend to in, in in very broad terms have an exposure uh, and more volatility around the results associated with um, natural perils events earthquakes windstorms etc which perhaps you won't see in some of the the insurance companies where perhaps they have a large exposure to motor or um, or household business in particular regions uh, so um, we in building our portfolio, are very cognizant of that, and we run um, analyses and certainly cap management processes around exposure to things like Japanese earthquake or Californian earthquake or european flood um, and they all form a part of our component portfolio, but we are very much committed to the premise that no one area one territory can significantly imbalance or um, uh, or outweigh the portfolio so um it's a uh, it's a blend of um smaller claims and larger claims in any insurance and reinsurance business but i think probably the way that the investors just think about it is that there is probably more volatility around the reinsurance company results than there would be typically insurance company
0: and i presume the overheads are probably fairly small because it's a uh... Yeah, it's not like it's not a labor intensive business, you don't need to have any plants or anything like that.
1: Well, that's that's true. We we distribute through um, insurance brokers, pretty much solely through insurance brokers. So the business comes to us through a series of insurance brokers. Um, uh, for us, in, um, in our five year business plan, you know, we have um, forecast for us to be just under a billion of premium written by the time we get to our fifth year, that's annually, Um, and very broadly in our IPO document, um, which we're we're largely on track with. uh, We estimate the costs of running the business at kind of that 6 to 7% of premium. So it's actually a pretty um, competitive model. Uh, We're based here in Bermuda and as a reinsurance company. Being able to operate the business with that level of operating expense, um, whilst your readers may not be familiar with some of the peer metrics uh, for an insurance or reinsurance business, um, that's pretty much at the low end. But it means you can concentrate, you know, your resources around the um, what we call you know the day-to-day acceptance and underwriting of the business uh, and claims payments. It leaves more uh, in the system, if you like, to uh, not just to withstand, withstand the shocks that come from time to time, but also to um, more in the system to pay the, the the claims as they evolve.
0: Also, when you're looking at the comparison between traditional insurers and reinsurance companies, are there, are there any other advantages that the listed insurance company might offer from an investor's perspective?
1: I mentioned earlier, I think, around the kind of the cyclical nature of the industry, both insurance and reinsurance. And what we see is that terms and conditions and premium rates do move quite considerably in a short space of time. Um, I think as we've touched on, one of the aspects of us as a reinsurance business is it's very scalable in a relatively short space of time. So being able to access large portfolios of business in a rising market Um, and being able to do that in an efficient way with relatively low operating expense is a a, a very good position to be when the market's changing. You can scale up in reinsurance. And by the same token, you can scale down. And that's not to be be missed that um, in tracking the underlying profitability of portfolios of business in different regions, in different countries, different classes, um, we can see patterns emerging. Where either classes become very attractive or become less attractive, and within reinsurance in transacting larger blocks of business, you can scale that up and scale that down, and it gives you the ability to i guess optimize the performance of the business over several cycles um, we're not having to set up distribution chains and sell thousands and thousands of policies at any one point in time, uh, which invariably has a a slower delivery to market so for us. It's more immediate Uh, and that's I think one of the key aspects of a reinsurance business that you can scale up and scale down and optimize that uh, that market cycle
0: so it just means it means that you're you're lighter on your feet effectively versus a traditional insurer.
1: yeah yeah very much very much and providing you establish yourself in that way which we've done here I think in one location and we can um, allocate capital and allocate our capacity Um, efficiently into those emerging um, areas of interest and that's really what the business is about and by the same token um, monitor those and as they start to cool off you know you put your foot on the brake in certain areas when you need to and so it's um, nimble is a is a is a good analogy
0: I'm talking of shocks to the system Um, what was the impact like of the Russian invasion of Ukraine on the insurance market and and more specifically
1: on conduit itself yes so um, there's been probably a, a heightened awareness in the general press of the Ukraine situation as it plays out in the uh, in the insurance space um, the uh, the losses arising out of Ukraine are broadly falling into two um, class um, definitions, if you like, one is the uh, the, the the war and the, the physical damage to buildings, which there is some cover in the in the industry for that. Um, that's given for damage to typically what would be um, either large factories or hotels and large commercial buildings. Some of those carry insurance for warlike acts. That's been kind of largely quantified, I think, in the industry, and there's, they've got a good handle around that. Um, the other aspect of the Ukraine situation is the aviation claims, which are being reported more and more in the press. And this is essentially where the aircraft that were either in Russia or in Ukraine at the time of the invasion—if you think of it in that way—were um, either confiscated or um, or taken out of action by the um, by the various forces there. And those um, planes are insured on the world stage, whether you define it as theft or um, destruction of the assets, um, there's an insurance um, discussion that's being had. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around which policies will respond and to what degree, and that will play out, I think, over the course of the next 18 months to two years in various legal forums. Um, in terms of quantification, you know, we um, have a relatively low exposure to aviation as a whole and certainly that region Um, and for us we have publicly stated that our position in the Ukraine um, is just under 25 million dollars so that's in insurance speak or reinsurance speak that's the reserve that we've put on that and we've we've put that reserve we're holding that as an expected ultimate claim that we will pay around Ukraine so you know, very broadly, um, you know, it represents a a manageable event for us. It was certainly um, for an event of that scale, a figure of twenty five million dollars uh, was pretty much within the range of what we would expect. So, even though it's a shock to the industry as a whole, um, I think for us it was a it's become a you know manageable part of our um, our claims payments that we're expecting um, that are flowing through in our first couple of years
0: and how do you think um conduits now positioned coming out of 2022 and what was quite a turbulent year i mean how how are you feeling now
1: well uh you know um i've been through many cycles in my uh 40 years in the industry as has neil and um uh it's very rare that you see a confluence of factors which um are presented themselves now um a lot of capacity um in the market um withdrew, um, not just on the back of Ukraine, but certainly there were a number of large storm events, windstorm events, uh, particularly in the US and and some in Europe, actually, um, in 21 and 22. Um, Companies that had probably gone too long, um, had had, had some extended positions um, in the catastrophe space, withdrew from the market, and it's left the playing field... um, um, more open, should we say, for new entrants like ourselves to to come in and um, start to, if you like, I will say take some, you know, some benefit from the increasing rates that we're now seeing. So, as a business for us, we have no back year legacy, so we, we're not having to manage um, a uh, an incumbent book of business where um, either claims or, or um, IT systems are holding us back from previous years so we have a clean balance sheet and it's been a great position for us to be in now um, really sort of growing into our skin so the five-year plan that we put together um, has come at a really good time um, and where we're seeing now premium rates for us has certainly been significantly increasing you know, we've published the numbers about um, the level of increases that we've been seeing over the last um, six to nine months and um there are a lot of classes that probably in my experience um, in the last ten years, we probably would have struggled to um, entertain and now the market has very much come into um, come into a bit more of a sweet spot there and for us, um, we're feeling pretty good about life, particularly because you know, as I say, we haven't um, had to manage the portfolio down from. Um, having um, many years of legacy sitting on our system. So at the moment, it's a very good place to be. We are 55 staff here in Bermuda and um, um, all pulling in the right direction. So we're looking forward, not backwards.
0: So effectively what you're saying is um, you've had a, n- a number of participants in the reinsurance market have, have exited the market because various disasters have occurred. Um, that means there's fewer, fewer of you taking those new taking those new risks on, and as a result, those policies are going up because there are fewer, fewer market participants.
1: Yes, yeah, spot on, and it's uh, it's supply and demand. You know, whichever sort of aspect of economics you're looking at, um, that's exactly what it is. There's an increasing demand for our product from the insurance companies. Um, one of the aspects that's driving up the demand for what we're selling is inflation. So the cost of the index thinking, if you think of your house insurance, that's index-linked, and that's not going up at 1% or 2%. Now it's going up at 3s and 4s and 5s and beyond. So it means the insurance companies are having to put bigger limits out there. They need to buy more reinsurance. So that's incre- increasing the demand for the product. And at the same time, the capacity the supply has withdrawn, uh, has reduced. So that's the dynamic that's at play. Um, and it's it's across a number of classes now, not just aviation and property, but You know the way that the the reinsurance industry works; it works in broad cycles, and um, it's very much it's you know it's a confluence of factors, as I said, that's just come together at this point in time.
0: And the the final thing I wanted to ask you about is obviously things like natural disasters, storms, earthquakes; those we're gonna have to live with, and and it's fairly predictable that they're going to spring up from time to time what is the reinsurance sector doing now that we've got things like for example the russian invasion of ukraine there's a lot of worry around possible chinese um effort to invade taiwan um and then on top of that um climate risks as well which are playing a bigger role than they perhaps did in the insurance sector say 15 20 years ago what's what's the what's the industry doing um, to manage those kind of risks, because some of them are, are are relatively new, and others are old risks that we thought we'd seen the back of, but seem to have come back in again.
1: Yeah, no, that's um, that's a good point. Um, from a uh, from a climate standpoint, um, that's been an evolving factor in in my experience, certainly for the last five to ten years. Um, if you look at the way that. Um, climate frequency and those losses have been occurring and reoccurring it's been an emerging pattern um certainly the, the the large storms and the large events certainly make the news and your readers will certainly be aware of them but for everyone that's that that if you like makes the the mainstream press as a headline there's another eight nine ten of them which are ticking through um in the course of the year and the data sets that we we see and the way that we price business, there's been an emerging pattern that's been going on for, for you know, certainly I think sort of the last five to 10 years. So the way that companies should be managing their portfolio is in that context. And certainly when we look at catastrophe business, we're happy to play in that space, happy to put capacity into those regions. But uh, as one of my old bosses used to say, you don't bet the ranch. You know, you do it in the context of what you can afford to to lose and withstand, um, uh, given the portfolio that's um, that you have in place. So, so uh, we certainly are very comfortable. Continue to write and analyze and write climate exposed business, but you have to do it in the context of the emerging frequency, and that's essentially what what we price for and how we manage the portfolio. When it comes to events, kind of the more sporadic such as the Ukraine type of event, uh, the industry has exclusions at its disposal and what you see in post-Ukraine is very much a um, realisation that wordings and exclusions and clauses um, should be used and are being used now more frequently by reinsurers to exclude those types of perils. So um, there's always an element of um, bolting the door after the... um, also, um as bolted as it were but uh, the the language that's in place does give me certainly now a lot more comfort than probably would have done two or three years ago the industry is in a better position to to mitigate those losses through um, use of policy language so it's a combination of two you have to be aware of the emerging patterns and frequency on things like climate but there's also degree of exclusionary language that you can use as defensive measure.
0: Well thank you very much dude for coming on the podcast this afternoon. That that's been really informative and uh I will look forward to hearing more about conduit in in the course of the year.
1: Thanks very much for your time and hopefully it's a bit of a window and the world of reinsurance for the readers.
0: You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.